0: You're listening to the greatest multifamily investment advice show. My name is Adam Ross, and now I'm talking everything multifamily for an in-depth conversation, and I will be diving deep into raising capital, deals and underwriting process: We have a great guest whose career is more than two years between real estate investing, buying deals, property management, raising capital and all sort of fun.
1: How are you, Mike? How are you doing? Mohamed, how are you? Nice to see you. And thanks for uh, letting me be part of your show. Very excited to be here. So thank you. Thanks a lot. Uh, Before we start this, I
0: was checking my career. You have done so much and I want to make sure we get it right. So my background is super impressive. And we want to get to talk about your background and real estate. I think the audience is going to love this. So let's begin.
1: Sounds great. Thank you.
0: So walk us through your background. And uh, what was the motivation to say I want to start learning about real estate, or because you've been working I think twenty years? Mm-hmm. So why yep. why real estate?
1: Yeah, no, it's great question. Thank you for for letting me be part of the show and everything. And 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 my journey kind of started probably similar to what a lot of people um, got started is um, I started working at a, at a at a company and I was in, in a higher um, management position. But for me, I was traveling a lot, about two and a half to three weeks out of every single month. And um, it, it, it started to kind of take a little bit of a toll on, on myself. And I wasn't no, normally super happy with the job that I was doing. And secondly, it's just, just like I said, it was just really something that I was not really, really happy with. The, the, the real big aspect when it came to the real estate side of things was, um, you know, I wasn't really happy with a lot of the returns I was getting from conventional stocks and mutual funds in my portfolio. And I'm sure this can relate to a lot of people. And this is not a shot you know, try to knock on on the industry whatsoever. It's just, for me, it wasn't the right fit. And, you know, I bought my property and uh, a home for myself. And I just realized how much it appreciated in such a short period of time compared to my mutual funds and stocks. And I'm like, I should probably do more real estate than I should do a little bit of this. And that's where you know the the moment became in my brain I got to figure out a way to kind of do this and and so um there wasn't a lot of information back then in in like there was no youtube channels <laughs> and facebook Correct. There, there was none of that. there was nothing there so 100%. I had to kind of put my blinders in and just kind of try to feel out what to do and and so fortunately I just got myself involved in a piece of real estate and it was just a small little town home in edmonton and I'm from vancouver And, um, you know, I was losing 40 bucks a month on that property. And I was like, ah, it's not a big deal. You know, I'm not whatever, right. It's not a big deal. And then, uh, you know, and I'm like, you know, it's one meal a day that i just don't go out for lunch or whatever. Right. And then, uh, yeah. And then from there, I kind of, um, with the market in Edmonton, when I purchased, it actually really took off and the rents literally almost doubled within about a year and a half. Wow. So it turned that negative cash flowing property into a Posted. very good, strong uh, cash flowing property. And I'm like, whoa, now the now the real understanding came in. I'm like, ah, now if I can get a more a few more of those, now I can kind of start to, the idea started to come in that more properties, more cash flow, more money in my pocket, more flexibility in my life. And that was kind of my initial aha moment. When and, was that? Um, Oh boy, that was like two thousand and one, somewhere wow. in that vicinity. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so that really kind of opened my eyes and that kind of started my journey in the in this whole process. Hmm. But I had no intention of, you know, building a real large company or even being on on this meeting with you today and all this stuff. Like that. it's just, you know, I've just been honored to be be able to share my journey with people over Same. the years and, and learn from not only just the good things that happen with the real estate, but also some of the mistakes and stuff that comes along with it too. But for me, um, my journey really came back to freedom of time. And I think this is can resonate a lot with a lot of people as I saw real estate as an opportunity. That was my aha moment when it came to real estate. And I'm like, if I can do more of this, I can get more freedom of my time and maybe turn this into a career. It took a long time to facilitate that. But I was very fortunate to be into that position uh, today. And so, um, you know, for me, my why was really more my family and and being able to take them to school and pick them up from school and just, you know, I don't I can just stop what I'm doing. I'm not committed to a specific task uh, or specific schedule in a calendar that I have to work from eight to five. I, my schedule is completely flexible to to what I want. And so that that's where my journey started. And it was just basic residential properties just to begin with and it's like um it was just the path that i started and started to change and evolve as i as the years kind of uh, so basically
0: uh you want to change selling money uh, selling time for money to be more freedom so uh rich dad poor dad correct
1: pretty much rich dad poor dad and and, you know it's the funny thing is i actually didn't reach read Rich Dad Poor Dad so back far? then so I didn't know anything about it until <laughs> yeah. probably a few years later when there was a book really all about it and that even just further expanded a lot of the thoughts that I uh, that I had right so
0: So after 20 years how many units under your management now
1: So we've got over 225 units across the country that we're man- wow. managing
0: today So tell us about uh, your target market so or your criteria or would you like mm-hmm. to invest? And basically, it's a buy and hold or a better strategy or a mm-hmm. cab rate. So, what are you looking for?
1: Kind of a combination of everything you just said, to be really honest with you. So, it's, you know, for us, we look at where the opportunity is, and um, you know, for us and to, to achieve our further expansion of our goals. And so, um, I'm, you know, I'm being recognized much more so in the multifamily space, and so I like the, kind of the burst strategy in the multifamily side, where you know, increase valuation uh, based on obviously cap rate and understanding what the cap rates are in the marketplace. Um, so that is something that obviously one of the strategies that we look for, but at the same time, we are a buy-and-hold investment company, and we like to kind of create that burst strategy with our multifamilies and continue to hold it. But we're looking for the right markets to be investing in as well. That has that increase of economic development that's happening within the in the province. Um, so, for example, when we are investing in in, in back east in in Atlantic Canada, um, we saw obviously some significant appreciation out there. We saw a lot of, mi- lot of migration, a lot of investment happening in that way. And so all of a sudden the cap rates, which were pushing it around six and a half, seven percent, now have dropped to about you know five, five and a half. Correct. So there was opportunities there. And so we saw that and we were kind of like, okay, this is a great location to invest in. And we can refinance it, we can sell the properties and and more importantly, pull some of that capital out to reinvest it again. But then also hold it as a long-term investment strategy. And so for me, I've always been a long-term kind of cash flow investing business. And, and I got a much more longer-term approach to this and and so you know what i look at is very similar to what i started earlier on in my career is if i have the ability to generate a continuous stream of income from from the properties it just helps support the lifestyle that i want for myself which is more flexibility and freedom and so i like my life to be i like my my career in real estate investing to be easy. No offense, it's just what it is. I don't like Correct. to. I'm not i I'm not a big renovation guy. We're fix and flips. It's just not in my wheelhouse. I keep things really simple in my life. Um, but what I do have a lot of visibility is to the numbers and making sure that any assets that we acquire are are good assets, not just for the short term, but also for the long term. So well. number
0: one so. is cash flow. This is uh, the first listen.
1: Absolutely, for me, if it's and it doesn't necessarily have to be cash flow immediately. But um, where we have the ability to increase that valuation to get the cash flow that we're, we're striving for. So uh, for us, in any asset that we acquire, I am looking for cash flow. Absolutely. So what is yeah. your
0: magic number per unit for cash flow per month? Uh,
1: for cash flow, it, I don't have it as a per unit basis, to be hmm. honest with you, Mohammed, hmm. it, it just it does vary and it does vary depending on the market that we're, we're looking at. Um, so kind of in, in a scenario, we would probably be looking at... <sighs> it's kind of roughly you know in in the area of probably around $200 to 215 to 220 okay. per 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 uh, per unit um, but obviously more is better but it what i look at too is just what is the other opportunities that we can kind of facilitate as well so even upon acquisition if i bought a 15 unit apartment building that will loses loses money every single month right now it's what can i get it to what's the what are some of those things that i can do for renovations increasing rents reducing some of the expenses to increase the net operating income to get and get the cash flow that i want so i might find a really good deal that has just been very poorly managed and unfortunately the cash flow is really bad because it's just been really badly run but we can take it over and change, change the tenant profile Look at efficient, more, better efficiencies in the property in itself and just oversee and manage it much better. Makes sense. Do some renovations, obviously, as well to get it to the level that we want, where it can produce, right? But for me, if I'm buying an asset like that, I'm hoping that I've acquired it well, right? Not necessarily paying over asking price. So it's really, really important for those that are getting into the multifamily space is just. The acquisition is an important piece, and you need to understand you do need to buy well. You do, and right. and then and then the second piece is what is the opportunity, and so be visible of what the future opportunity is in there to do well. So, but when the time comes when we have done the things that we need to do, we need that property to be generating income. And and the way I look at multifamily, is it's a business. You're buying and any any mm-hmm. piece of real estate um including single family home and again this is my my belief and it may vary depending on everybody else a lot of people are more based on appreciation and and all that stuff like that but i I've, I've been a big believer that appreciation is speculation you don't know if private right. markets are going to continue to go up or not but the one thing that i've learned is as long as you've got cash flow you're able to sustain any types of variances that happen within the economy and so with that being said um, when you when you're treating it as a business you want that business to be profitable. And if I use the analogy is if I'm buying myself a coffee shop, okay, none of us, including yourself, I would assume, you would never buy a coffee shop that loses money every single month. Does it make sense? You have Does to make cash flow. Yeah, you're not going to be able to scale
0: anyway. The idea is to scale, no. not to have just one building losing and you can carry the losses. The issue is you want to have 10, 20, 100, and eventually in your case you want to have a fund and an actual and vacations and having not only 200 to scale it to 1,000. I think this is your goal yeah. anyway. Even if you didn't do it by yourself, it's going to be your son and so on. Correct? Yeah, so to absolutely. scale it, always, uh, always cash flow. I, yeah. uh, I, I, I I, believe on this, to be honest. <laughs> correct? Yeah,
1: like it's the way to do it. And, and the way to grow is, to, you know, I you, you use the terminology is uh, don't buy alligators, which is taking money out of your pocket every single month. Hmm. Because, you know, we all got into this for a reason. Um, all of us, we all have our own stories. Mine was about more flexibility and freedom of my time. But if my properties weren't able to perform, I'm, I'm now doubling my work. Now I'm not only just working a full-time job, I've now got to try to, I'm using that full-time job to support my real estate investing as well, because right. I may be losing money. So understand when you're buying a property is, you know, what, what was the objective of you getting into it in the first place? What, why are you doing this? And then make sure that whatever asset you buy is helping fulfill that objective that you have for yourself. And so for me, it was about more flexibility and freedom in my time. And so the more income that I was able to produce and and provide, then um, the more flexibility that I have in my life. And that that was always been the game. Right. So
0: so right now, what is uh, the order for the markets for you, like uh, Nova Scotia, New Brunswick? Saskatchewan, Alberta, what is the best yep. market for you right now?
1: Um, so our our market of choice right now, we're putting a lot of emphasis in, in Calgary and in, in Edmonton. Those are both of the markets that we're putting a lot of attention to, just obviously with what's going on out there. Um, I find that everything's kind of seeming to be in alignment and I'm not here to tell people where to invest or whatever. So take your time to do your due diligence Correct. and don't just base it on my opinion. I'm just sharing with what we're doing. Correct. Um, I've been investing in Edmonton for, for, for decades now, to be honest with okay. you. And I've been through the ups and downs of it. And, and so what we're finding right now is, um, we're seeing a lot of migration starting to happen back in Alberta. I think the biggest thing is just affordability because it's so much more, uh, affordable than most other provinces in the country. And it's not to say, you know, Saskatchewan's not a more good market either. Hmm. I think there's yet a market there as well because of affordability and, you know, for those that are investors, it's, uh, people are investing in that market as well because, um, there's no really rent caps. There's no rent regulations and, and, sorry, I shouldn't say there's no rent regulations, but there's no, uh, capital caps in regards to how much I can raise rent. So it's a definitely much more of a landlord friendly, uh, place and, and so from an investment side. Um, so again, with migration happening, that's good as renter. If we've got properties there, they're as great as renters. But with the demand that's also happening as well, um, uh, with as well, um, we're seeing inc- a very low inventory as well for properties as well. So the demand is starting to go, and we're also seeing prices going up. So, so I think
0: the lesson here is uh, you able to survive even in two thousand sixteen with the immigration from, I think, Edmonton, because you said that you've been dealing with Alberta on the last decade. So you remember what happened on 2016 when the oil prices and everyone was losing their jobs in Edmonton. But as you said, it's, the main thing is cash flow. Even if there's a actual drastic change in,
1: on the market, you can survive. Correct? Uh, absolutely. And that, that was the key for us in our success in that time period is – you know, part of it is buying right and buying well and, and being cognizant and paying close attention of what's happening in the market. Um, there were some properties that we sold in 2015 because we actually, 2015, 2016, we had so much equity in there and we saw that there was a downturn that was about upon us and we just made the decision that some of them we wanted to make sure we protected a lot of the equity that we have. And we were very fortunate to take that equity out, sell some of our assets uh, because the market did take a dip. And the other properties that we held, um, we weren't really too concerned with it because it was continuously generating cash flow. Exactly like you said, as long as you've got income coming in every single month, we can ride out pretty much anything that happens. And real estate is a very cyclical business. And, and so with that mindset, and as long as you've got a long-term approach to this thing, you're going to have ups, you're going to have downs. But cash flow is really kind of king. It just continues to support the business, no matter what, yes, we may not have the appreciation, but what you do have is you've got income every single month, and that mortgage is being paid down every single month. So you've got two out of the three major income opportunities that are there. To be and honest, when we get, I'm really
0: annoyed with this kind of appreciation market because it's it's giving the the wrong vibe to all of the investors. It saying that it's gonna keep going and going and going. And if I bought bought this property now is one million, next year it's gonna be one and a half, and so yeah. on. But it's yeah. not true. Eventually, it's gonna go down. And as you said, cash flow, cash flow, cash flow. Yeah, cash flow.
1: And that's the thing, you know, for us that are in Vancouver and for us that are in Toronto. Um, and I talk to a lot of investors. They're just like, well, you know what? I don't want to invest. You know, I like investing in Vancouver and Toronto because those are appreciating markets constantly but that's just the perception that markets when you buy real estate it just appreciates and unfortunately um you know you've got one or possibly two generations that truly believe when you buy real estate it just does this in vancouver and then also in 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 toronto prices just should naturally go 15 or 16 percent appreciation every single year that's not normal that's not a normal market that it appreciates so you know, honestly, we've had a lot of. It'll be very interesting to see what happens this coming year because, obviously, you know, prices are much more expensive. We've got lots of inflation. There's new policies that are being put in from the federal government as well. Interest rates are going up. You know, I think some of these hotbeds that we've had um, are probably not going to be as hot as they were in the in the past. Like, you know, I look at the Lower Mainland and Vancouver. Some of you know, third least least affordable city in in the world, it 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 becomes really difficult because we're not seeing our incomes keeping up with the way prices are going up, right? So so as I
0: see your business model relies on long distance management. So the first funny question would be why not Vancouver? Like here, as you said, why not Ontario? Mm -hmm. So why not Vancouver?
1: (laughs) And it's not it's not that I don't like Vancouver and and you know sometimes I'll kick myself I'm like you know what, I should have bought some more properties in Vancouver, but you know, knowing what you know today. But like I said, kind of from the very beginning, I'm a cash flow investor, and that's always been my model is is that income stream. And and so for me, it just was not able to be accomplished here. There was just too much risk in regards to buying a property and playing the speculation game. And so I didn't know what was going to happen with the market. I don't think anybody could really foresee the way the levels of prices have gone up in such a short period in, in, in all these years, right? Correct. Um, you know, to see properties, you know, literally more than double in, in, in such a short stint is is mind-boggling to be honest, right? But in like 15 years. Correct. But um the one challenge that it always faced is is just there was no cash flow. There really wasn't any cash flow out here. And so for me, if I was trying to create a cash flow investing business, that was kind of the main reasons why we never really invested in the Vancouver marketplace. It just didn't didn't make sense. I wasn't so worried about needing to manage the property because I don't manage any of my properties, like, to be very, very clear. You know, I, I I don't like, you know, you know the old saying, work on your business, not in it. I t- very well taken that to heart where I try to really not do the day-to-day stuff like painting of the units or property management or finding tent. That's just not... I want to work on scaling and growing my business and not necessarily doing a lot of the hands-on as you said, stuff.
0: As you said, it's a business, not a second job. So if it's you're doing exactly it by that. yourself, then it's a second job.
1: It is, very much so, yeah. And so, like for me, we always focused on markets that had that opportunity. We're looking for markets that are continuously linked, looking at uh, economic growth, economic expansion, lots of migration, people moving in. And then more importantly is obviously for markets that generate income and cash flow, right? It's so it's kind of a, a few prong approach to this, but again, we want uh, to invest in markets that have a future, that have growth expansions and plans and stuff. But at the same time, if I'm buying a business in that market, I got to make sure the business is profitable. And so that right. is one of the main criteria that I always look at, it's always done well for me. And and like I said, I would never change it any differently to be honest with Correct. you. Yeah.
0: For me, the next question will be: I think it's always for me is the core team in multifamily. Mm. In my opinion, is your core team should be the property management company, your commercial relator, and your mentor if you need. And you're, if you're if you're starting your your journey, basically. So yeah. um, because you're basically moving between markets, I think I think you already have boots on the ground on the last ten years. But yep. if you're going back to in, on time and and remember, what was your uh, initial process to hire a property management company? Especially that, as you said, you don't want to make it a second job. You want to scale your business. So
1: Yeah. Well, I think when I first started many years ago, it was kind of anybody that was willing to take me. Because, you know, in a lot of cases, property managers, um, the really good ones, they weren't really taking on any clients at all, right? And so that was really, really tough. Mm-hmm. And so you just kind of accepted kind of the one that was willing to take take you, unfortunately. And that wasn't the right strategy. It's about being patient and and trying to work that relationship with your with your uh, property manager over time to hopefully accept you to be to to work with you. Um, but for me, um, when I started many years ago, again, it was. I just picked a property manager based on kind of references from a couple people. I didn't have a very big network back then in regards to other investors and people I can talk to. It was kind of like, you know, let's get old school here, Yellow Pages property management in Edmonton. It was pretty much to that level. And so you you didn't necessarily know what you were gonna get. And you would talk to them a little bit and you try to feel good about it. But um, um when I look back then to where we're at today. Um, for us, it's actually an interview process and very much like we talked about from the very beginning is this is your business. This is your real estate investing business. And as you said, property management is extremely important to make sure that your business is going to maintain success. And so my mental approach when it comes to property management is they're like an employee of yours, technically, right? Sure. And just like any other business, you want to make sure you find the right fit for you. They have a common vision of what your investment goals are are able to help accomplish those investment goals for you. So it's it's an interview process, and it's just understanding kind of their experience, their knowledge. How do they deal with evictions? How do they deal with rent collections? What are some of the back-end systems in regards to reporting financials? Um, You know, do they have a team of individuals um, that work for them? Are they licensed property managers, sure. right? That's yeah. the other one. Yeah. Um, you know, are they, are, they, are they allowed to be doing property management? You know, are they able to collect rents and, and all those things? So making sure that you've, you've done all of that d- diligence. Um, I still obviously talk to a lot of references and referrals. And, 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 you know, for me, I'll ask some of their clients that they already have today is like, so tell me a little bit about what's good with these individuals, right? I, and I want to hear what some of the good things are. But just like any property manager, and I've been doing this a way too long. It's not they life. also have, they have weaknesses as well. And so what are those challenges? What are those weaknesses? And then understanding them and can I, and am I comfortable with those weaknesses? Yes or no. And um, my rule of thumb is you want to definitely interview multiple different property managers and you're working what you want to find some commonality and more importantly, somebody that you feel. going to be part is going to work well for you and your business right that that communication that engagement um so like i said that that's kind of their screening process to begin with and more importantly is even when we first get started i try to make you know our agreement i actually don't lock in an agreement for a year right off the bat okay um so for me it's kind of a trial period no no different than any employer let's test it out for 30 days or 60 days and then we reassess it to a, a, a term after that. But I want to really want to see how they work and and how it all goes. Um, this way you are um, testing it out. You're seeing to make sure it's the right fit. Um, and as you have a property manager hired, my recommendation, anybody that's listening um, is always have a backup just in case. So say it doesn't work out with that property manager, always have a backup and yeah. um, I can, tell you right now, when I started 20 years ago, I do not use the same property manager as I did 20 years ago. And in fact, I've gone through multiple different property managers in almost every market Hmm. just because of things that happen things that change. Correct. And that also changed, that also was reflective of our realtors in some cases too. You know, I've got people that don't want to be realtors anymore. They're just done and or they right. are retired or there's many different reasons, but my business is still growing and flourishing, but the more relationships and contacts you have, the better it's going to be for you. So. 100%. The yeah. second
0: one, I think commercial real estate because for me, this is basically, I think the constant stream for anyone working like long distance. If you're looking for deals, who's going to bring you the deal? I think the best bet will be your commercial estate or realtor. So, uh, what you did? So, if, let's say, Michael want to buy in new Brunswick, and mm-hmm. so, how you butter the things with, uh, with a, new rela- a new relationship with this realtor to little bit bump you to the half, like, top of his list because you know that you're not alone You mm. have a lot of investors. So how you make it, uh, done and the first thing he's going to do is contact you.
1: <laughs> yep, exactly. And for those that are getting started, this is probably going to be your biggest challenge because in the commercial multifamily world, there's not as mi- a bi- they're not, it's a very small pool of real commer true, good commercial realtors. Okay. Let's be honest. There, there's very few of them. And even within that group, there's also even less, even less in regards to really good quality ones. And so what you're trying to do is determine those individuals, uh, who they are, identify who those people are. And my recommendation is you want to start building relationships with those people as, as quickly as you possibly can. The first initial phone call, they're not going to necessarily know who you are but the more consistent that you become with that individual, connecting with them, building relationships with them. You know, I always reference a, if I'm going out to Toronto, you know, and, and, and I've just met this realtor through zoom or through a phone call, I'm taking that person out for lunch. Correct. Absolutely.
0: Sending gifting cards from time to time.
1: All those things. It's just, it's, it's all those, it's those relationship building things that you need to do. And, and the more you engage, the more you connect, the better you're going to be. And, and I, and I want to be very clear. Um, I think you should actually reach out with multiple commercial realtors, not just one, because they all have different deals. They're all talking to multiple different owners. And still to this day, I've got multiple realtors that I work with. One realtor will bring me a deal. And this one won't bring me the same deal or bring me a completely different deal. And sometimes it's these internal discussions and and things that are happening that are being provided with off-market deals. And so um, the more you engage, the more you expand your network of realtors, the better it's going to be. Now, understand it's going to be really, really tough.
0: Especially on the new new generations, someone want to jump to new markets. Yeah, it's going to be hard for him to
1: to start the the relationship. Yeah absolutely and I, and that goes even off off market as well. or say for example here i'm in vancouver and i got to build a relationship with Mon- in moncton hypothetically uh, we set up a zoom call we we talk it out we still engage and we build kind of a friendship to the best of our ability and trust me i've built some amazing relationships back east I've yet to meet any of them in in most cases. I've just connected in this type of fashion. Correct. But guess what? This is the new world order, guys. And, you know, this Mm -hmm. this is new reality that we still, even though I don't physically get a chance to shake their hand, we still can do business exactly in this fashion where we can just do it through a Zoom link. It's, it works just as equally as well. Yeah, you don't have um, to live
0: in Monton to make a deal on Monton. You don't have to have live in Edmonton to make a deal. on. Like I understand. Absolutely. This is basically yeah, what uh, stopped many people to invest because they think, okay, I live in New York. I cannot buy property in New York, so I'm going to go to stock market. That's it. Yeah, totally. But this is not yep. the actual case here. The, no. basically the, for in my opinions the, always the winning horse is the smaller communities far from the fringe markets where uh, like san francisco can you scale your business in san, san francisco i don't think so the same mm-hmm. in new york it's different animal here and uh, what you're doing cor- basically is the correct way to scale your business and the mm-hmm. only way to do it is to as you said uh, make relation as much as you can through any yeah. way of communication, and yeah. try to have it just as you said, from time to time to have a constant relationship, and send yeah. sending gifts, uh, show interest on the 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 team member uh, service, and going from there.
1: Correct? Yeah, like you know, yeah absolutely. It's all those things, and like social media is a big player too as well. Obviously, you're following them. Content, con- you know, provide some content. Uh, comments and congratulations and all those things like that. Um, and then in the other world as well is for those that are looking for those good commercial realtors and people that they've connected with, you know, don't discount making connections and networking with other investors in the community. Like, you know, so for example, Mohammed, I'll say, Hey, Mohammed, we just built a relationship. We're saying, hello, nice to see you. Listen, I need a, I need a good commercial realtor. Do you have any recommendations? And maybe you do have a great relationship with your commercial realtor that you're willing to connect us. But by you connecting us together and you've got a good relationship, that should actually fall into a possible good relationship with that individual as well. So don't ever discount references or referrals from other people because I'll tell you right now, even myself, I give referrals constantly of my my investment team to other people that are looking for it. Uh, because I want to support my my property managers, my realtors, all these individuals as well. Because I want them to help grow their business, and if I can give them some leads to help facilitate that, fantastic. But I know they'll be very thankful that I did that, and will hopefully continue to provide me with those opportunities. 100%. So it's it's a win-win scenario, and I think that's what we have to treat it as. So
0: more networking, basically, you have to have more. Networking. Absolutely, yeah absolutely absolutely so i want to jump to your biggest deal your biggest deal so far so how you Mm. met the sponsor or how you got the deal basically biggest deal um i guess is the biggest project or just biggest profitability Uh, biggest project like how many units was which market uh Mm -hmm. how you how you find like an actual uh not a gap, like an actual opportunity to
1: make cash mm-hmm. flow basically on this deal. The biggest opportunity. Well, okay. Um, I've got lots of different types of projects, but I guess I'm just trying to think of the best way to <laughs> reference it is, is a closing, a purchase and a close, um, because we had some recent projects that might be from a profitable side, that might be a better example, but they're actually smaller projects, believe it or not, which is shocking to be honest with you. So. Um, Maybe I'll share one of these ones real quick because this one just, this one just happened and it was uh, just got it done. So um, one of the properties was, you know, for our segment that we like for our property, property acquisitions is normally kind of between the 15 to 35 unit building. We just find this kind of sweet spot there where it's still kind of mom and pop seller. Uh, We're not competing with the REITs and the pension funds and and all these other individuals that are bigger organizations. Mm -hmm. And because they're 15 units and higher, we're also not competing against a lot of the people who are just getting started into multifamily. So there's a higher higher amount of money and stuff like that that kind of comes along with this, right? So um, one property did pop up, which is a uh, simple 12-unit building, which is under what our number was. And we're just like, okay, it's 12. But the suite mix was fantastic. It was eight two-bedrooms with four one-bedrooms, and it was in a great location. All the units were above ground, which was fantastic. Um, and this was based in, in Moncton, uh, in one of our Atlantic Canada properties. And okay. so um, so we did well, but the one thing that we noticed was the rents were significantly low, like really, really low. Um, we had one tenant in there, one of the two bedrooms paying $650 a month for a two bedroom uh, unit, which was also including utility. So $650 for a two bedroom, including utilities. The really? rent in that market, yeah, the rent, the actual rent in that market was around $1,100 a month, correct? Yeah. not including utilities, right? So we, we saw this and we're like, okay, this, you know, and the entire building was very similar in this fashion. Rents were way too low, uh, utilities were included, and we just kind of like, okay, this is, you know, this is crazy. And so we saw an opportunity where we were able to transfer all the utilities over to their name, um, and the rents just needed to go up. So we actually just had to, we bought the property. I think it was for like $950,000 in, uh, July of 2021. Right. Um, yeah, just so, July recently. 20, yeah, so yeah. just recently. Right. And so with that being said, um, very similar, what's the opportunity? The property was cash flowing from day one. So that was good. We're happy with that, but it was what the future opportunity was going to okay. be. And so we saw a lucrative amount of cash that was going to be able to be done. So we took it over within about 30 days we started to kind of communicate with the tenants what we were planning on doing working with some of these individuals accordingly as well and then we raised a lot of the rents up to what the market needed to be we had a tiny bit of turnover very little um, so we had to address that there was some a few units that needed a little bit of renovation not not much but a little bit of work that needed to be done um, but then what we saw was the market was really starting to take off. So, again, we saw the, the appreciation that was happening. We saw migration happening. Demand for rentals started to go up. Um, but really, we didn't really worry about what was happening in the market because we saw the opportunity within the building in itself. It was just so undervalued from the very beginning.
0: Correct. So um,
1: we decided to exit that property shortly after. And so we actually put it up for sale in December. And we okay. had it in multiple offers and we just closed on this about uh, less than 30 days ago. So we just finished the completion of the sale. So we bought this one for like $950,000 in July of 2021. And we just sold it for $1.515 million in, in less than like seven, eight months. Right. So it wasn't that without, long.
0: that adding value. It was like a,
1: just buy and hold. Very little, very little. But this is exactly what we try to find is like properties that have just been, you know, tired or, or in a lot of cases I've seen lately too, is, um, you've got apartment buildings that are maybe owned second generation. So the, you know, their father purchased this property now that's inherited to their son or their daughter. But here's the thing. There's no mortgage on this property at all. This is exactly this example here. No mortgage, even only charging $650 a month for this unit,
0: making to this sketchful.
1: individual, <laughs> it was making lots of money for these people. So they just like, I don't like to see turnover in my building. The average tenure of hmm. this building, average tenure, uh, was 18 years. They were tenanted, the average was 18 years that they've lived in there. This one person was there for 30 years living in this building. And you know what? The owners were happy, the ones that were selling, the the sellers of this property when we bought it, they were happy because this thing's just generating lots of income. There's no no turnover in their building whatsoever because it's just long-term tenants. So there was really not a lot of motivation to grow that business or treat it more of a business per se. And you know what? You'll be shocked. There's lots of owners that are in that same position out there. You just got to go out and hunt for those types of opportunities. And so just be aware of it, be cautious of it, and see what you can actually do. But in this scenario, we really didn't have to do much work. We just saw an opportunity like this. And again, it's not a million dollar deal. It's a little over a half a million dollar deal in a six to seven month window with very, little a- bit of, with very little bit of work that needed to be done, right? So it's just right. like, we like looking at projects like that, and those ones we call just little unicorns that are out there. But trust me, they're out there. They're they're definitely out there. So,
0: so but I see that you're flexible because, uh, as you said, uh, you you focus on on more on uh, on uh, central Canada, but uh, moving to again to Atlantic, I think the the main challenge for me will be uh, the rent control issue, because yes. if you're willing to if you want to do an actual added value, then you need to eventually yes. kick out tenants to add the value and do the refinance. But in this particular case, your whole strategy was not to add value. As you said, minimum, maybe on the uh, on corridors and, and general areas, but it, you saw the actual potential to make uh, money on short
1: term, correct? Short term, yeah. And, and so we were very fortunate that um, these rent policies that were put in just a few weeks ago weren't in place when we literally sold. So we were, again, we're, we were lucky. I'm not saying right. it's because of my, I was the most brilliant investor in the world. No, I was Man. lucky. Right. We, we just, but you know, I'll be, I'll be, I one thing I will pat myself on the back is some of these rent controls were starting to be put into place in Halifax in advance. Right. And so with that being said, it was just kind of your spider senses were tingling. And that was actually one of the main reasons that we decided to sell the property. And not keep it actually because we didn't want. I don't like rent policies or rent rent controls in, in my in my markets of choice. To be really honest not with an you, not
0: investment friendly. Basically, that's why many people are going no. to Saskatchewan and Alberta because it's still still open. You can you very can rent, much. Uh, you can raise the rent and you can add the value. You can do your own thing, but uh, on Ontario,
1: you have to buy out the, the tenant to able to yeah. do your strategy. Yeah. You do your cash for keys. And like I said, there's always a way yeah. it just might cost you a little bit more. You Correct. know what I'm saying? Right? Part, of the, and so, part of the project. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but that's the thing, when you start to look at that right now, like our individuals, and this is not a shot for our investors out there, it's just got to guys got to be just creative a little bit, unfortunately. Right. Correct. But you know, here's one of the struggles that you're going to be facing out there is um, let's just say we just bought this building. Okay. We, and we saw that these rents were a month when it's supposed to be 1100. The only thing I really can do is give them a rent increase of the 3.7, 3.8% or 3.9% and try to push them out. But no one they're not going to leave because they're like, it's still really, really cheap. Even if I gave them an extra thousand dollars. Yeah. Yeah. I say, Hey, listen, I'll give you cash for keys. I'll give you a thousand dollars to leave they're not going to leave nope. because it's it, it doesn't make any sense like you know they're getting they know they're getting an amazing rent deal and that thousand dollars will get blown away really fast when they go to try to find their new property as well Great. so like I said that's one of the challenges you have to kind of just know what's going on what are some of the opportunities and, and pay attention to what's going on in multiple different facets not just economic but the biggest thing that's happening is the political environment that's changing things a lot in the last couple of years 100%. so Uh,
0: My next question will be, uh, business-wise, what is your business strategy, basically? It's like you go on a bear trust agreement, a GPLP, a regular partnership, you're doing it alone, so you like to risk capital, or is this basically you and your closer uh, contact only?
1: Yeah, like for me, I do raise capital for, and we're just a basic basic JV partnership in most cases as well. We do uh, private lending as well, or we'll work with private lenders as well. Hmm. Um, the individuals that we've worked with for our money partners are individuals that we've worked with for years and years and years. They have become investors of ours, where we just, again, in a scenario like we just shared here, most of those individuals will just say, Mike, thanks for the money, really appreciate that. Let's, where's the next place to park it? And and that's really where you where investors want to go is you've got a good pool of investors that you're working with and you have success and then you can take that capital and repurpose it yet again in those multiple different projects uh, as well right so um, you
0: rely on on partnership you mean that they are active investors or you prefer you to be the, the, the GV, ah, so you GPLP is in
1: uh, partner GPLP. exactly yeah, yeah. yeah exactly correct. that so it's just like for us, we're the working partner. These guys for the most part are just the silent partners in a lot of cases. And they really, there's not a lot of involvement and these people really have entrusted us in regards to ensuring that we're gonna do what we've projected in our pro formas as part of our analysis. Um, So like I said, they are are very, very hands-on where we use our experience, knowledge, our investment teams to making sure uh, we do, we fulfill kind of our commitments that we're working with our investor partners with, so.
0: Okay so the next one will be uh, for people out there listening they want to raise capital can you share maybe like how much time to took you to raise capital on a deal is before or after the deal or based on previous relationships or so I yeah. think this is always the one of the question to anyone want to raise money do i have to yes. start uh, right before having the deal or when we i have the deal like timeline what you do
1: Great question. Thank you for asking that one because <laughs> it's it's something that I actually teach in my courses too, as well. It's like sure. the the money part the money should always come first, from my perspective. Always, because mm-hmm. you know, if you don't have money, I don't know why you're going out looking for deals. It just doesn't really make sense. And there's that old saying which drives me crazy. And again, for those that say it, that's totally fine. I'm just maybe in a different belief to this is, you know, for those that say, you know, you find the deal and the money will come. And I've heard this saying many multiple times, but the desperation, the desperation that you are going to be under to try to raise that capital is not going to help ensure that you find the right partners for your deals. And so there, there's kind of a saying that I, you know, there's what I kind of reference is it's like a marriage, truly. Okay. And when you are looking for a money partner, the interview process should go both ways. And so for me, um, when I look at a money partner, my question as, as the real estate expert is, can I work with somebody like Mohammed as my money partner, as part of my investment team? Do I feel good working with Mohammed? You know, what's his personality like? Is his goal similar to mine? And so I want to know that in advance of putting that person into a deal and not just throw that person into a deal. I want to take the time to get a chance to know who you are, what your goals are, what you're trying to accomplish. And more importantly is what's the type of projects that would be the best suited for, for you. And can I fulfill the object, the objectives you're looking to accomplish by taking the time and energy to do that in advance of a deal, it's going to make the process so much easier for you. So when a deal actually comes, you can say, Mohammed, I've got this opportunity. And remember, we were talking about your investment goals. This is how it's going to fulfill that. Now you, it, it's a much more seamless process versus you having a deal. And now you're panicking to try to source that money. And guess what? You may partner with the wrong people because you're desperate to raise that cash. So. It, it, you know, I use the analogy of this going, it's like going to Costco, but, you know, purposely, purposely, you have left your wallet at home. You know that, but you continue to walk around Costco, filling the cart up all over the place, spend an hour, hour and a half. You know, if it's me and my wife, maybe two hours and we walk around the entire store at Costco and then we get up to the cashier. And then and now we know all Now we walk home. <laughs> Correct. It's a waste of time, and that's my true belief when it comes to the same principles of raising capital. Especially the credibility you mean, with uh, your realtor who brought you the
0: deal. So if you he everybody you, yeah, if he gives you the deal and then you screw up because you didn't able to close because you don't have enough money, then he's not gonna bring you
1: any more deals. Not at all. And I think that's the you know if there's one message that maybe people are listening for those that are um, listening about the capital raise side, I'll give you a little bit of advice less time on looking at deals, more time on raising capital. And and when I work with my students, I always kind of say 80-20 rule, and then it flips. So you go 80% of raising, 80% of your time should be trying to raise money first, then maybe 10% or even 20% looking at deals. When you've started raising money and say, for example, you've raised a half a million bucks, now we swap, it's 80% looking at deals, 20% raising money. But for those that are looking to raise money, you should never stop raising money, ever, 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 because you might have enough money for that one particular project, but when you go to work on the next one, you want to keep that momentum going of that capital raise side. So take the time, if you don't know how to raise money, take the time to learn how to raise money to begin with. And then secondly, that's really where the focus needs to be versus you looking at deals. And and like I said, I'm a believer, and this is what I preach, always have the money first before you look at the deals, because exactly like you said, Muhammad, it's like, it's a small industry and you don't want to build a bad reputation with this, with your new team members that you've worked so hard. You know, so we, talked, we just in. talked about this, you built these relationships, you've taken them out for lunch. Do you want to ruin that relationship right now? Um, so take the time to have that money ready to go. So when that new relationship of a realtor has provided you a deal, you can do something about it. So
0: you you're focusing on connections. Maybe you took some some uh, about some of rejection you had before for raising money because this Rejection? Is part of, yeah because this is part of the, the game anyway. you're not gonna find <laughs> totally. maybe 5% is gonna accept and 95 not. I, I
1: find it the other way around really <laughs> Yeah well yeah, I really do. And so and that 5% in more cases than not is actually me turning them down. So it's like uh, because okay. it's just about finding the right fit. But the, the whole approach to, to this is when you're learning how to raise money and, and I see a lot of people do it wrong all the time is you are needing to build trust and credibility in yourself. Okay. So for example, Mohammed is like, you know, if I, if Mohammed is, um, the money partner and I'm the, uh, sorry, if I'm the money partner and, and, uh, real, and you are the real estate expert and you're trying to raise money for me, my initial thinking is if I give Mohammed a hundred thousand dollars, my concern is, is he going to be heading to Belize with my hundred thousand dollars? Right. And that's that's really what I'm trying to determine. He may say I've got something that's a 50% return on his investment. He may truly have he may have an opportunity that truly pays that out. Correct. But I don't know trust. that. Yeah. I don't trust you yet, right? As ha- that's the key. Building and trust. so when you're working, yeah. So the key is to raising capital is you gotta have that commonality, that relationship. You gotta build trust and comfort, 100%. and that's why I'm saying is you want to be in that rushing position because you've got a deal to raise money. You want to say, hey, can I work with this person from both ends? Can I trust this person with their money? Once they've trusted you and they feel, hey, you know what? I feel good with Muhammad. I really do. I I feel great. And so with that being said, you know what? It doesn't even matter what deal Muhammad brings me, it doesn't. Could be in Takti for all that matters, and I'm not knocking Takti because I don't know if it's good or not. But say it is, hmm. uh, because I trust Mohammed 100%. Building's really here's my money. Yeah, that's the good. key, right? Yeah. And so, you know, if there was a mistake that I learned, and for those that are watching and, and listening, that was one of my early mistakes. I pitched the deal. Hmm. I pitched it. Here's the opportunity, Mohammed. It pays 20% return, but I didn't take the time to know. And build that relationship okay. up front, and that's really the most important piece. And so, even myself, like you know, you see a lot of people on social media, on Facebook or whatever, and they're pitching their deals, twenty percent return, da 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 da. And then everybody responds accordingly. I'm going to tell you right now, the small percentage of those actually closing is very, is very, very low. The commitment. And the qual- yeah. yeah, the commitment. Because you know what? It's it's anybody that's got any real money they're going to get a chance to know who you are and, and what you're all about first and foremost, before they give you any bucks. And it isn't the deal. It's can I trust Mohammed? And I'm sure Correct. I can trust Mohammed with a hundred thousand dollars from now because on. I know he's not going to go to Belize <laughs> or wherever he's going to go. Correct. But true, but truthfully that's, that's the name of the game when you're raising capital is Correct. take the time Correct. to learn. And I made that same mistake a long time ago was trying to pitch the deal. And it was actually my wife that told me when I, she, cause I was having such a, hard time trying to raise money at first and she's like just pitch me and I did hmm. and she figured it out in five minutes and she's just like when are you going to talk about me and learn about one of my investment goals you're just talking about yourself and right. and this and this deal and she goes you know what we, we need to have a relationship here we need to understand it and, and that was actually her that told that to me and it really came back as it really flipped my script in regards to the way I approached it the strategy and itself, now yeah. Yeah, and so now I just had more confidence in raising the capital. So,
0: Also, you have to have aligned goals. Like you have to, as you said, you have to listen to what he's looking for. What is his Absolutely. actual goal in short time period and long time period, correct?
1: Absolutely, yeah.
0: My next one will be, uh, what would you say is your superpower or strengths?
1: Superpower strengths? Well, that's a tough one.
0: Um, or
1: what is super- his, your wife saying, maybe? <laughs> oh, that might be different, different comments, but, um, um, I, I think superpower strength. I'm not really sure if I really, I guess it, it can be multiple different ways. And, and I guess for me, um, is kind of my ability to build relationships with people, I think is key. Like, and that's been instrumental in my business. And, you know, the old saying is not what, you know, it's who, you know, and I've taken the time to really build a lot of connections and networking, and taking the time to to meet all sorts of different people um, in my business too is do my best to support people. To any, if they've got questions, if you know, I get comments and emails and messages, and then Mike, I got a challenge or a problem or something. Can we just talk it out? Or ha- I'm happy to help. Like I'm truly, and and that goes to anybody that's listening as well. Like you know, truly, the more you give, the more you get, and it's not to have an expectation like that but I have been so fulfilled by, by just everybody's kind of um, comments and things like that, that I've been able to help support. But more importantly, there's nothing more rewarding where I hear somebody just buying their first multifamily property and they're just saying, thank you for that little nugget. I'm like, happy to help in any way because it makes you feel good. We're, it's a small community, small industry. Let's all help each other to be successful. And, and so for me, I've really enjoyed my journey. I built amazing relationships and connected with people literally all over the world, which has been fantastic. Um, and so, you know, I, I would say that would be one of my strengths is is just the ability to build those relationships and connecting with people. And and like I said, I'm I'm for me, I've always enjoyed supporting and helping individuals as well as a, as a as a contribution to back to the community. So. So.
0: You, as you said, you are already mentor to many investors already, but if we're asking who's uh, influential mentor in your real estate career so far, like, like Grant Cardone, uh, mm. Brandon, uh, Berger Pockets, like who's your actual uh, role model now? Who's like you're following?
1: Hmm. <laughs> that I'm following right now? Um... You know what? I, I don't really have, I, I wouldn't say they'd be role models as they are just, I like to watch what people do to be really honest with you. Correct. Lots, right? So you got Mark Loeffler. I've always enjoyed watching Russell Westcott's and other individuals that I always like to watch. Mm-hmm. I do watch Grant Cardone um, and lots of other different, not so much even real estate entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. but more business entrepreneurs as well. Gary right? V. Yeah. Gary Vee. I yeah. love Gary Vee, you know, but <laughs> For me, I just like the fascination of the business aspect of things. And it's not that that drives me into the real estate side as it is just seeing what people are constantly doing. And obviously, I'm a marketing guy, too. And so I like watching how people do their marketing and and those things that are very, very unique in the industry. Right. So uh, multiple different pieces. But I guess my role model, which might be a little bit different. actually my father and so for me he was my (laughs) biggest role model actually to be honest with you and just watching what he did and and he actually did his land development and that was my you know part of the, the 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 inspiration that got me going a little bit too and so you know he you know if i've got an issue or a challenge or something like that that pops up i can always know that i can go to him to ask any questions and sometimes it's just simple common sense questions common sense answers that you're needing and, uh, and so that's who I would say is a, uh, is a great mentor for me. So,
0: okay. Final yeah. question. Uh, yeah. can you tell me about your favorite book and, uh, and lately, which book did you read that's grabbed your attention? Uh,
1: definitely atomic habits is the one that I'm reading right now. Fantastic book, mm. uh, for those that are looking for a great book, but it really just talking about, um, creating positive habits and I'm making sure that, you know, you set up a system in place to help, uh, Uh, to help kind of grow and expand and changing new habit structures and getting away from some older habits. Um, One of my favorite books to be, uh, uh, to be honest uh, was, was, well, I've got a few, but the one thing was another book as well um, uh, with, I think it was Simon Sinek that wrote that one. Um, But again, very similar kind of mindset is what is that one thing, that one habit that you're trying to, to stay focused with in this day and age right now where there's so much, noise and so much stuff out there sometimes we are you know our brains can kind of just think about too many things too many distractions and it just kind of kind of brings you back to staying focused and it's not that I lack focus but I really enjoy some of the simplicities of other people's systems that have keep you keep you following a path for yourself um, not just in your business personally and also family as well so I've always enjoyed that those types of that type of reading so I hope that you
0: love the show today. Thank you so much for doing this and my final final question would be where our listener can follow your success. Like if someone wanna follow you,
1: where we can find you? Absolutely. Well, we've just launched our brand spanking new website just out. Um so we run a community called The Savvy Investor or Savvy Investor on our Facebook page, but if you go to our website thesavvyinvestor.ca, thesavvyinvestor.ca you will see links to all of our communities, our YouTube channel, different content. There's lots of free resources for people that are just getting started investing in real estate, um, all sorts of stuff. So if you go on that site, thesavvyinvestor.ca, lots of information. So yeah, hope to see you guys there. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot for your time today, and we're really happy to have you today in the show. Thanks. Thanks, a lot. Mohammed. Appreciate the opportunity. Bye now. Thank you.